0: And today we'll be looking at verses 15 to 21. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When I was growing up, I would go and visit my late grandfather, and oftentimes when I was about to leave, he would say something like, be careful, be careful. And I remember as kind of a snotty little kid thinking to myself, what do I have to be careful of? I'm just driving home, I'm just going on a trip, I'm just going to school, I just have a hockey game. What do I have to be careful about? And then I became a parent and I kind of understood that heartbeat of like why he told me to be careful because there's a lot of dangers in the world and as a parent or a grandparent we care about our kids, we don't want them to fall into those dangers. And now some things that we fall into like just kind of happen to us, maybe we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so sometimes events in life just happen, but other times, you know, if we're careful, we can avoid those things. But as kids, especially when we're young, sometimes we run headlong into those dangers and often pay the consequences. When I was in middle school, I went to a private school, and every year we would have to go on this retreat at the beginning of the year. And so we would go to this camp called Camp Lilalei. And uh, I remember the first, and I remember they would tell us like, okay, all these things you have to bring. And the one of them was a flashlight. And I remember going there, and the first night we did a bunch of different things. I think we went and watched a movie. And it's nighttime, it's dark out, and they're like, okay, we're going to have this game. And this game was kind of like a big kid's version of Hide and Go Seek. And so all of the teachers and staff were going to go throughout the camp, and they were going to be hiding in various spots in the darkness, and we had to go and find them. For whatever reason, I was really excited about this. I don't know if there was a prize involved. I didn't usually get excited about games like this that much, but I was super excited about it. And so they said, okay, they're hidden. Now it's time to go. And I remember going out the doors of the chapel, and I just, I'm not even thinking about that flashlight i just start running as fast as i can like a rocket and then all of a sudden i find myself face down on the road on this gravel road i had tripped over a ditch and i was down on the ground i I was out for the count thankfully i was like 12 years old and so i was more resilient than i am now and i like got up and uh, you know it hurt but i shook myself off But let me tell you this, after that, I made sure I used my flashlight. I made sure I knew where I was going, because I didn't want that to happen again. I think that as we enter into 2024, I think many people feel like we're entering in some ways into a darkness, like we don't know what dangers are ahead of us. And so maybe we can imagine some of those things, like could there be another pandemic, or could there be another world war, or or what's going to happen with the economy, or what's going to happen with politics? Uh, What's going to happen with like the polarization of society? And and we have these ideas of things that could happen, but really we're in darkness in a lot of ways. There's many dangers in our world. And so there's many physical dangers and things that we could fall into if we're not careful. And some of those are even outside of our control. But I think there's also spiritual dangers that we can fall into. And that's what I'd like to talk to to you about today. And that's what I think Paul talks about in this passage. and, And I think it's, his reminder here is helpful to us as we enter into the new year because Paul says, be careful. Be careful. Be careful how you walk. And so I think that this passage shows us how do we be careful as we're entering into the unknown, entering into 2024. And kind of the first overarching principle that he gives us of how we be careful is that we're to be wise. He says, walk not as unwise, but as wise now don't make mistake what he's talking about here oftentimes when we talk about wisdom we talk, talk about wise behaviors it's like a wise person maybe will invest in retirement a wise person will maybe have an emergency fund uh, a wise person will you know make sure they eat well and make sure they exercise uh, a wise person uh, will invest in healthy relationships and so oftentimes when we think about wisdom we think about behaviors but I think there's a lot more to wisdom in what Paul is talking about than just simply doing wise things, wise behaviors. I think there's a difference in that wisdom is not simply a way of doing things, but wisdom is almost living in a different reality. Wisdom is seeing things that other people don't see. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 to 27. It says, "Everyone who uh, then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a fool will, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell." And great was the fall of it. Now, why does the wise man build his house on the rock? It's not because he particularly loves rocks. It's because the wise man sees something that the foolish man doesn't see. He sees that a storm is coming. And so he lives in a different reality than the foolish man. The foolish man says, hey, this is the easiest thing to do. I'm just going to build it on the sand and it'll be fine. The wise man sees something the foolish man doesn't see. I mean, the same is true with with any area of life. The person who maybe builds up an emergency fund, they see that you know maybe there could be unexpected expenses that are coming up. And so they see something that someone else doesn't see. The person who invests in a relationship, they see that they need other people and see that maybe there's going to be a time in the future where I'm going to be struggling and I need someone else in my life. And so when Paul says, walk not as unwise but as wise i don't think he's saying hey just do these behaviors he's saying see the world in light of a different reality and for him as he describes it in ephesians in the book of ephesians that reality is the gospel that we're to live life in the light of the gospel now what does that look like i think paul describes it in ephesians chapter one and this is a lot to take in but i'd just like to read it for us today so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, that's a lot, and that's enough content to kind of, you know, last us a lifetime to try to digest those things. But that's kind of the gospel and the kind of the plan, the mystery that God is revealing in the gospel. And just to kind of pick up a couple of those things, he says, we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. That Christ is the one who unites all things. He's the plan of salvation. That we have the Holy Spirit who's a guarantee of our future inheritance. And so that, as believers, is the reality that we live in. And wisdom takes that reality and applies it to everyday life. So what are just a few examples? Again, I mean, this passage, we could digest it for the rest of our lives. But what are just some things that, you know, practical things that we could take from this? Okay, so like, it's wise not to sin because God has... Chosen us before the foundation of the world, and his plan is that we should be holy and blameless. And so that's where God is taking us, and so it's wise to live in light of that reality and to not sin or to fight against sin. It's wise not to worry because we're chosen in Christ. We're secure in him. We don't have to worry about our salvation. We know that he holds us in his hands. In light of the gospel, it's wise to look forward to the future because we have an inheritance that's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And so we can take this reality of the gospel and apply it to our life. And and that, I think, for Paul is what wisdom is. It's seeing life in light of the the gospel. It's not just simply a set of behaviors of being responsible. It's seeing the world in a different way. And so wisdom is seeing and living in accordance with the gospel because how we view our reality... What our reality is influences how we make decisions. So a few years ago, around the time of COVID, um, I started dabbling in the stock market. This is back before I had toddler expenses when I had a little bit of money. And I just started dabbling a little bit. I didn't know anything about the stock market. And it was at that time, like everyone was like involved in Robin Hood and, you know, nobody had anything else to do. So they're just like, oh, let's invest, you know, a little bit here and there. And so at that time, one of the big kind of questions or th- exciting things was like, who is going to come out with a vaccine for COVID first? And, and the thinking was like, whoever would come out with that vaccine first, would, you know, the stock would go up like crazy. And so I remember it was the second half of 2020, I believe, and I had dri- driven my wife to work and I was picking her up. And as I was waiting for her to come out, I was listening to the radio and I heard this news report and their news report talked about a company called Novavax, and they announced that there was trials, there was kind of early stage trials, and the trials were pretty successful when it came to uh, being effective against COVID. And so I, I heard that, and then I pull out my phone, and I was like, okay, maybe like, I could maybe buy a little of this stock and get it on the way up. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's already too late. You know, people have realized this, and the stock's go into the moon. Maybe it's too late to even buy any of the stock. And so I opened up my phone, looked at it, and the stock was plummeting. Like, it's just, I mean, nosedive. Everybody's selling off this stock. I mean, probably about 20% down in the course of like an hour. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, isn't this good news? Like, it seems like it's good news that the trial was effective, but stock is nosediving. And so I, you know, confirmed that news that it was, in fact, good news, and then I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of playing around with this. But like, it seems like a good thing to invest in. And so I invested just a little bit of money, not you know enough that I could afford to lose if it went way down. So I tentatively did that thinking like, it's got to go up, right? Well, in the course of an hour, it went up, I don't know how much percentage, but I remember making about $400 in the course of an hour. The highest by far hourly wage they had would ever made in my life. And so I made a quick $400, not really know what I, what I was doing, and then I, afterwards I realized why this stock was nosediving. Nose Apparently a different news report, different than the one that I had heard, had errantly reported that this, this trial had been unsuccessful, that there was negative news. And so these people were living in a different reality than I was. And so, you know, to them, they were making what they thought was the wisest choice in the moment. They were just selling off. And in the process, they were probably, some of them, losing a lot of money because they were living in a different reality. They were making what they thought was the best decision, but they were living in a different set of facts. I saw, you know, I knew the the actual reality, and so I was making a wise decision in light of what was actually happening. And if we're not living in the right reality, if we're just living kind of, By what we see, what comes into the senses, then we can't be wise. If we don't see the reality of what God is doing in our world, then we can't make wise decisions because wise decisions can only happen in light of the reality of the gospel. And so we see the gospel as as what God is doing in this world, and we make decisions based upon that. And that's at the heart what wisdom is, that we know the will of the Lord, that we're not foolish, and we apply that wisdom. So I think that's generally what Paul is talking about when he's talking about wisdom, but he also gives us kind of some specific ways that we can be wise. And specifically, I see two in this passage. The first is that uh, we can be wise by making the best use of the time. Again, Paul says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Uh, The word for making the best use of the time is a Greek word, uh, which is very long. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It's been a long time since I did uh, Greek, but it essentially means to redeem or to buy back you know it's often used in the context of redemption and specifically in this context when talking about time it talks about kind of buying up all the time now one of the hottest items you can get right now is stanley tumblers you see these stanley tumblers And it's not just any Stanley tumblers. You can go to Dick's or Target or wherever. You can buy, you know, one on the rack and, you know, there's lots of them available. But there's all these, like, limited release ones. And there's, you know, there's a pink, like, Starbucks one that's, like, super popular. And another one that actually was released this week was uh, a red one and a pink one for Valentine's Day. Really super hot item. And so I have a video of what happened when they were stocked in Target. There's no sound for this video, but check out what happened. What's that? Oh, they leak. Four minutes. Four minutes and all of those big tumblers were gone because they were like limited edition and people are like, this is the only opportunity I'm going to have to get them. And so they're, you know, they're just grabbing as many as they can. There was some kind of a limit. I don't know what the limit was with four, but you see people just grabbing them. And it's like, this is the only opportunity that I have to get them. And so they're buying out all that they can. And I think that's the image that Paul is talking about in this passage. It's about buying up the time. It's like this is maybe the only opportunity that you have, and so you buy up that that opportunity. Why? He says because the days are evil. The days are evil, meaning that there's an evil one that wants to destroy us and those around us. And so when we are living our lives, we live in, in kind of a battlefield, and we need to make the most of every opportunity. And so as we look at different situations in our life, Sometimes we only have an opportunity for a certain amount of time. You know, for some of us, maybe we have people in our life that we're the only Jesus that they ever see. You know, and maybe we only have brief encounters with that person. And we need to make sure we seize every opportunity that we have to show them the love of Christ and share the gospel with them. I mean, we all don't, we don't know what the future holds for us. I mean, who knows when, how long we're going to be on this earth? Who lo- knows how long our loved ones are going to be on this earth? And so we need to seize every opportunity we have to love them well. And so Paul says that kind of the heart of wisdom is knowing what the gospel is, applying it to our life, but also making the best use of the time, realizing that we live in a world that is fallen, and we live in a world where there's an enemy that's working. And so when we have opportunities to advance the gospel and love those around us, we need to make sure we take those opportunities. And so that's the second thing he talks about when he he talks about like, what does wisdom look like? It's seizing every opportunity, but he gives us something else as well of what it looks like to be wise. And I think this is really important. He says that we're wise by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does he talk about alcohol or, or drunkenness in this passage? Well, I mean, it seems kind of out of place. He's talking about uh, wisdom. He's talking about uh, all these different things. W- w- why does drunkenness come into play? Some people think that maybe, you know, the church in Ephesus had a particular problem with, with drunkenness, um, but we don't see a lot of evidence for that in the text. I think the reason that he does that is he's talking, he, he brings up drunkenness to kind of create a contrast between being filled with alcohol and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you drink alcohol, you know having a sip of alcohol is not going to get you drunk. And there's a lot of different factors of like what would it take to get somebody drunk. You know how you know how how much they weigh, how fast they drink the alcohol. Um, you know what the alcohol content uh, is of the particular drink that they're drinking. But for anybody, no matter, you know, what kind of your alcohol tolerance is, you know, if you drink a certain amount, which is different for every person, you could get to a place where, you know, it goes from, hey, I'm enjoying a drink to this, this alcohol is in some ways controlling me, that this alcohol is in some ways, you know, affecting how I'm behaving. And Paul says that, you know, being drunk is, is debauchery, uh, which is a weird word that we don't talk, we don't use today. But it's described by one Greek dictionary as behavior that shows lack of concern or thoughts for the consequences of an action. And so and so if we're drunk, we we have kind of an impaired judgment. Oftentimes, you know, people who are drunk make bad decisions, whether that's you know driving or being promiscuous or making a bad financial decision. You know, drunkenness tends to lead to impaired, you know, judgment. And so he's giving this contrast to talk about, you know, okay, this is what it looks like to be filled with alcohol. And he says, also, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you're filled, when you're filled with alcohol, it in some ways affects you and controls you. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it also has effects on you. It also changes you. And he's going to talk about what those effects are. But before we get there, I think there's a few things we need to you know, remind ourselves about in regards to the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not just an entity or a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. Oftentimes we think of it as the Holy Spirit as like you know Star Wars, like the force, may the force guide you, like this power source. But the Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus and the Father. And so the God exists in a trinity, three people, three people, one God. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. It doesn't make complete sense to us, but that's what I believe the scripture you know, reveals to us and that trinity, that three persons, one God, has existed from all eternity past and will always exist. And so the Holy Spirit is not an entity, not just a power source. The Holy Spirit is a person. Second, I think... What are we talking about when we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, when we become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives inside of us. And so, if you know Christ, then it means the Holy Spirit is inside of you. But experientially, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit is filling you at all times. So, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I think when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's similar to what Paul talks about when he talks about walking in the Spirit. And he describes walking in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 this way. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so my best definition of being filled with the Holy Spirit is this, that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we invite the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives and, and we obey the Spirit's leading uh, when he guides us. So we invite his presence in, in our lives. We say, Holy Spirit, I need you. We recognize that we can't do anything of eternal significance without him. And so we invite him into our lives and he'll come into our li- and He and he affects our lives. And often what he does is he applies the words of scripture to us. He helps us with that wisdom. It's like, here's the gospel, this is the good news that has been proclaimed, and this is how it applies to your life. He'll remind us of the words of Christ. He'll remind us you know, of things we need to know in the moment. Have you ever had that situation where you know, maybe you're really struggling with something, and then maybe that Bible verse that you read a while ago, it just comes to your mind? And oftentimes, that's how the Holy Spirit works. He's not going to tell you to do something apart from what God has spoken in His Word. But the Holy Spirit's going to guide us. And then, you know, as he guides us, we need to walk forward in obedience. And we we need to remember as well that just like having a sip of alcohol isn't going to make anybody drunk, having a sip of the Holy Spirit isn't going to make anybody filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about habitually asking his presence in our lives, habitually obeying and listening to his voice. And so that's, I believe, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, inviting his presence into our lives, And then when he leads us, walking forward in obedience. And I think this passage shows us that the results of doing that are incredible. Um, It's just incredible, the results of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So as we look at this passage, in verses 19 to 21, there's a few different verbs, five verbs. Addressing one another, singing and making melody, giving thanks, uh, submitting. Um, And so... When we talk about these different verbs, they're actually participles, and a participle is something that's dependent upon a main verb, and you'll see these a lot of times in Greek. And so they're dependent, I believe, on the main verb, which is to be filled. Now, when you have participles in Greek, they can mean a number of different things, but I think that in this context, the most likely thing that they mean is that they're participles of result. Meaning that these are the results of being filled with the Spirit. That as you're filled with the Spirit, these are the things that happen. As you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to, you know, speak in, in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and make melody to the Lord. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, we could parse out what, you know, Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, they're, they're pretty close in meaning to all of them. But I think what Paul is talking about is like that, you know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have this joy and delight in God that, you know, just resounds up in praise to God and declaring to other people how great God is. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, we'll be marked by gratitude. He says, by giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who is filled with the Holy Spirit will be marked by rightly ordered relationships. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not being given to pride, but choosing to lay our our rights down for the sake of others. And so the results are incredible joy, incredible gratitude, and rightly ordered relationships. Incredible results. But here's, I think, where we go astray. I I think especially as we're entering into like a new year, we want a new year, a new you, and we think about these things, and we think about like, things that we're lacking. It's like, maybe we're lacking joy. And so we're like, okay, I'm going to work on joy in the new year. It's like, okay, I'm going to get these hobbies. I'm going to uh, maybe try to be more disciplined in my life. Maybe I'm going to try to slow down and have more rest. Great things to do. But we, do, we think that's going to bring us joy. Or we're like, okay, I want to be more grateful in my life, and we're like, okay, this is the year that I'm going to have the attitude of gratitude, and we want to be more grateful, and maybe, you know, we do helpful things, like write down a list of things that we're grateful for each day. Uh, Or maybe it's like, okay, I want better relationships. It's like, I'm going to try to be a better friend. I'm going to try to be a better sibling. I'm going to try to be a better son or daughter. Uh, Or many of us, okay, I'm going to try to be a better spouse, and we look at like the passage just after this that talks about, you know, wives submitting to your husbands, husbands loving to your wives, like Christ loved the church. And we look at these things as like, okay, this is like what I want. I want my relationship with my spouse to reflect the relationship of Christ and his church. And I want to, you know, be more loving to my spouse and I want uh, to change to reflect Christ in a better way. And so we see all these things that maybe we're lacking in our life and we're like, okay, I want to fix them. I want to become more joyful. I want to become more grateful. I want to have better relationships in my life. And we try those and we do really good things. But then a little while goes by, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, and sometimes it's like we go right back to our old patterns. Why is that? I think the reason is we've missed the point. We've missed the point of this whole passage. We've missed the whole point in that These things are symptoms. They're not the problem. The problem is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And these things are results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't make yourself joyful. You can have the greatest circumstances in your life. You can't make yourself joyful. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I mean, you could be given so many great things. Only the Holy Spirit can make you grateful for those things. I mean, you could be doing all the right things in your relationship. Only the Holy Spirit can truly change you. And so I think that Paul acknowledges here that if we're going to be changed, we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that he needs to be the one that guides our behavior and changes us. He's the fuel that we need. Uh, Imagine your dream car, whatever that is. For some of us, maybe that's a sports car. Others of us, maybe it's like a big SUV. You know, we all have maybe an idea of like, what would be the car that I would want if I could get any car in the world? And imagine that you're given an incredible gift. You receive an inheritance of like $5 million. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to buy my dream car. And so you go to the dealership to pick it up. And you are so excited. It's the perfect color that you've always wanted. It's got a great stereo. It's got this great engine. Everything that you always wanted. The salesman said, here you go. Here's the keys. But I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to fill up the gas tank Um, Just make sure you get to a gas station as soon as possible. And so you start driving. You drive down the road, and you are just on to the top of the world. This is the car you've always wanted. You're so excited to have it. You drive right past that gas station. The car starts to sputter. You pull over on the side of the road. You've broken down. Then you call up the dealership and say, hey, there's a problem with this car. I mean, this was my dream car. This is what I always wanted, and it doesn't even run. I mean, I can't even do, I I can't even turn on the heated seats that I've always wanted. I mean, this car is completely dead. And then the salesman says, Well, did you fill it up with gas? It's a new car. You shouldn't need to fill it up with gas, right? I mean, it should just go. The best car in the world isn't gonna drive if you don't have fuel. Same thing is true with us as believers. We can have the best plans, we can do all the right things if we don't have the fuel of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to go. We're just going to go back to our old ways. Anything of eternal significance, it's only going to be accomplished in us and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you think about like our particular tradition, kind of Baptist, non-denominational. I think sometimes we're a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit because it's like, okay, we hear talk about the Holy Spirit. It's like, that's like Pentecostal kind of stuff. That's charismatic kind of stuff. And, you know, we view it in almost like a sacrilegious way. It's like, okay, like the Holy Spirit is for the Pentecostals. No, the Holy Spirit is for the church, his bride, purchased with his blood, the comfort who's come to help us, to change us, to remind us of the words of Christ, to make us into who God has called us to be. I mean, I find it surprising that as we look at kind of the religious landscape in the world, one of the biggest or one of the fastest-growing religious groups in the world, if not the fastest, many have said the fastest, is Pentecostalism. Of the major denominations in the United States today, there's one that has shown consistent growth over the last uh, several years, and that is the Assembly of God denomination, charismatic denomination. Now, I disagree with a lot of Pentecostal theology. There's a lot of things that I think that they do that are not biblical. But I think one thing that they do do that is right is they actually believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we miss that. We miss the fact that we need Him in our lives. Yes, we need the forgiveness of Christ. We need the love of the Father. But we also need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And sometimes we miss that. The Late preacher A.W. Tozer once said that if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would keep going and nobody would know the difference. He said if the Holy Spirit was removed from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference because they were driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's let's be careful as we enter into 2024. Let's, Let's be wise. Let's not walk as unwise but as wise. Making the best use of the opportunities that God has given us. But as we do those things, as we apply the gospel to our lives and our situations, we can't do that unless we have the Holy Spirit empowering us. He's the one who needs to fill us. He's the one who needs to apply the gospel to our lives. Give us the strength to change. Give us the strength to follow Jesus. Give us the strength to know and seize every opportunity that we have. And so may we be filled with him as we enter this new year. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've given us a helper who's come to remind us of what we need to know, to empower us, to allow us to do what we could never do on our own. Lord, as we enter into this new year, Lord, I just pray that we'd be filled with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come rest on us. Holy Spirit, guide us the direction that we would go. Lead us to your words. Lord, Holy Spirit, give us the direction that we need to apply the gospel, the reality of the good news to our life. Holy Spirit, remind us of the fact that life is short and there's an enemy that seeks to destroy us and help us to seize every opportunity that we have to advance the kingdom. Lord, fill us with your presence. And as you fill us, Lord, may we be the people described in this passage, people who are overwhelmed with the joy of your presence, who are overwhelmed in so much that we're overflowing with song, that we're overflowing with gratitude, and that we're willing to humble ourselves to love those around us. In Christ's name I pray.